0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Where You From with Sarah Casa, the podcast where we talk about origin stories, geographic, metaphorical, and otherwise. I am Sarah Casa, obviously. I'm so glad you're here. This podcast is supported in no small part by Patreon. Um, It is so awesome to have such a wonderful, thriving community of Patreon supporters. You can check it out at patreon.com slash sarahbenincasa. You can support this podcast and some other weird art projects I do, like the Instagram Excellent Coats on Irritated Women and various other things for as little as a dollar a month. And it is so appreciated. I can't tell you how much it helps. It really allows me to do a lot of stuff like actually pay people. Shout out to Heather who produced this episode and shout out to Guy who is editing this episode. So my guest today David Graham Wilcox. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, am I going to have to listen to this crappy sound quality through the whole episode while Sarah interviews chef, celebrated Los Angeles chef, Michigan native, David Graham Wilcox? The answer is no, because right now I'm hiding in my bathroom talking into my iPhone. It is really hot in Los Angeles. The fans and air conditioning are going everywhere. I don't have a soundproofed area. So this is what we're dealing with. And uh, Heather did a great job with sound. So I'm sure you will enjoy the mellifluous tones of David Graham Wilcox, who owns Hail Mary Pizza, a dope-ass pizza joint, in, in uh, Atwater Village on the east side of Los Angeles. And presumably you will tolerate uh, me. And it'll be great. So... excited you're gonna hear about food you're gonna hear about how one cute little hippie drug dealer got his ass to Hawaii and then to California from the mean streets of Grand Rapids Michigan and ended up beginning to build what I hope becomes a most glorious pizza Empire hey everybody welcome to another edition of Where You From, the podcast about origin stories. I'm Sarah Benincasa, which you probably already know because I've already recorded an intro and then popped it at the beginning of this. Hi, David.
1: Hello, Sarah. Uh,
0: this is David Graham Wilcox. He is my friend. He is good at, at pizza.
1: Pizza? <laughs> yes, definitely good at... Definitely... Well, I'll, I'll take it.
0: You are a chef.
1: Yeah, I'll a take chef. it. A chef. I'll take it.
0: Do you... How do you... When people go, like, some lady hits on you on an airplane... Uh, and goes like, what do you do? Because that's when how people hit on that, people, I guess.
1: <laughs> that's, yeah.
0: It's very sexy. What do you say? What do you say? you go <laughs> like, oh, I'm a, I'm a food person? Uh,
1: I'm I'm thinking of a specific time. That's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> but I actually did get hit on in an airport, and it turned into a whole thing. Um, did you get
0: married to that person? Definitely not. Okay, cool. No,
1: no. Marriage once. Uh, my son's mother. Um, what was the question now? What I don't know, but your about? son
0: is tall and cute as we were discussing. He's tall and attractive. He's adorable. And he's, 17. he's a tiny He's almost baby.
1: a grown human. He's almost a legal bi- adult. Yeah, I know, it's fucking weird. That's so weird. Can I swear?
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So David Graham Wilcox, single dad, restaurateur. Restaurateur?
1: Restaurateur. There is no N.
0: Restaurateur. Mm. Restaurateur and chef. Indeed. Is that what you, do you just go, I'm a chef or do you go, I do something with food, whatever. Do you try to be like distant and cool about it?
1: You know, I tell people now I'm more of an owner than anything, not because I care about what I'm called, but because I don't know if I cook as much as the rest of the team does anymore. I mean, I'm more guiding them. So I don't, and I don't really care anymore. I mean, chef means chief. Like the whole thing is just kind of a silly notion to me. I'm old. Just call me David. That's (laughs) fine. Like... Like at this point, like, you know, I'm happy when my son calls me dad. That's great. (laughs) You know, and we're getting along. I don't really care what I'm called. So, yeah, I don't think about it so much anymore.
0: Well, you've had Hail Mary Pizza since 2018. Mm -hmm. And before that, it was Journeyman. Mm -hmm. And both of these establishments, uh, were they the first two that were yours and yours alone, as in brick and mortar place, as opposed to, say, a pop-up or something like that?
1: When I was like 26, I think I was 26 or 27, uh, and I was living on Maui. I opened a small 20 seat cafe that was a lot more high end, fine diningy kind of cooking um, with a friend of mine, and uh, we grew our food that we served. What? Where, we in, we was had there like a two backyard? acre farm. We had a two acre like farm that we grew all of our food. Oh my god! And uh, the whole thing was like I really wanted to you know be one of the best ever kind of a thing. Um, And at the same time, all of that driving, you know, force also, you know, kind of drew me away from my young marriage. I was, I mean, I was young, she was young and my young kid. And it just like turned into a total mess, honestly. And that fell apart and closed it after like six months. So that was kind of the first time I ventured into it. And then I stayed away for a really long time and focused on my parenting skills and other things and consulted and, you know, worked in other restaurants. So this is the first time in a very long time. And journeyman honestly was a total failure. it was one year in like it was we a critical
0: success, yeah, I mean, it was pe- people, like a people really people... beloved indie film that didn't make didn't, that much money it d- didn't do
1: well, um, <laughs> but people
0: loved it i mean i didn't I didn't go sorry, <laughs> but uh, and
1: you're the reason we closed
0: I'm the reason you closed you I was specifically just, I think I was just busy living in Silver Lake at the time, like having like in inappropriate relationships and being drunk so i was like very
1: busy i couldn't make (laughs) it to
0: atwater village approximately i've heard this story about
1: a thousand times and every time it's you're the reason we didn't make
0: it. (laughs) no i'm definitely the reason (laughs) you didn't make it i actually decided to just be like a drunk whore for a year so that you would fail
1: Perfect. It was great. That's a good plan. No, and no, I'm glad you made out well. Yeah, now literally. I'm
0: sober and you're going to be rich. That's how this goes. I control the tides also. Meanwhile, I'm having a beer. Yeah, you're having a delicious beer. Um you rode your motorcycle over here to uh, Sunny Eagle Rock from Sunny Atwater Village, which I appreciate very mm-hmm, much. It's mm-hmm. very cool. We, well, okay, okay. So let's let's like go way back in the Wayback machine to the year of our Lord nineteen when you are born. In you were born in Illinois, like I feel like you grew up in Grand Rapids, or you grew up in Illinois.
1: Grew up in Crystal Lake, Illinois, uh, which is a suburb in the northwest uh, reaches of Chicago.
0: Crystal Lake sounds like an ominous name. Of it's an the evil same town.
1: name of the town that I don't watch horror movies, so I can't remember. The, it's I mean, a Friday the Thirteenth.
0: Oh my gosh! Okay, because I was thinking, oh man, that's a horror movie town. Yeah, I
1: don't, I don't watch horror movies. They like it just doesn't sit well in my head because I have a photographic memory and the shit fucks my head up. So. Uh, But I do know that fact, that it's Crystal Lake in Friday the 13th.
0: So you were born in inside a horror movie. Totally. <laughs> Did it feel like a horror movie of a town or was it okay?
1: I mean, if you were to go back to like our Christian upbringing and going to an evangelical church and we had a pastor named Pastor Fault and he used to tell us we were all going to hell, then yeah, kind of.
0: So on the one hand, I don't see you at all as a human who would be born of a situation in which there was a lot of evangelical Christianity. But on the other hand, I do because I was talking to season one guest, Tommy Sadowski, he was talking about growing up in College Station, Texas and how growing up with all that like meet me at the flagpole and pray bullshit and junior varsity Christian fucking jocks who are all like, you know, a lot of them were just like secret rapists, like terrible people who could pretend to be cool on Sundays. Um, He was talking about all that shit and growing up in that context and I, oddly enough, being in rural New Jersey, had kind of a similar experience how that formed who we are and made us Made us sort of realize how that's all bullshit and terrible. So, in that sense, I can understand that being where you came from. Cause you, to me, like,
1: I got out. Yeah. Yeah. I totally got out. Yeah. It was, it was, um, it was pretty nuts. Like, our flagpole that we met at was at my house. We didn't, I was, home, I was homeschooled from, oh uh, second grade through eighth grade because my mom didn't like the school system that we were a part of. And I couldn't speak to it if I tried. Like, I couldn't tell you if it was good or bad or what the reasoning was. But it had to do with, you know, the church system. And so she and a bunch of other mothers from the church that we went to, Crystal Lake Evangelical Free Church, um, got together and decided they were going to homeschool. And they, the most, the biggest concern was that we would, you know, all become antisocial crazy people. And so they created a homeschool group that we all met twice a week at the church and did, like, all the group classes. You know, and music socialization. And, yeah, totally. So we had all of that. And there was probably, like, I think 70 or 80 kids from, like, K through 8 that were a part of this. Um, That's sizable. Yeah, How's I mean, the- there, was, there was a fair amount. And it was also illegal to homeschool then. So they were all, like, taking a chance and doing this crazy thing. And it was full of, you know, every nut job you could imagine, you know, in every capacity. There was one woman I remember growing up that uh, had a book that was called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Is Coming in 1988. And she really believed in 1988 that that was it. It was just going to be over. And, you know, the world was coming to an end and you better repent now.
0: She was right. And that's why Michael Dukakis brought about the end of the world. And we're all living (laughs) past the end times. (laughs) We need to not look down on her because she definitely was correct.
1: She was accurate.
0: (laughs) So what happened when 1988 rolled around and Crystal Lake, Illinois, did not
1: vaporize? I started questioning everything.
0: <laughs> Were you raised with that kind of uh, what is it called eschatological, like end times, apocalyptic kind of? Yeah, to language? an extent.
1: I mean, I don't I don't remember it as much, but I certainly was afraid, like constantly, as a child, that the world was going to end. Like thunderstorms made me think that like the rapture was happening. You know, the one voice of reason that was in my family was my grandfather. I'm named after him, David Wilcox. He made the name up. He's Native American. He's full blooded Cherokee, and he completely just made the name up to sound more English. So my dad oh, gave he it like to anglicized
0: school. and American slash Americanized his name.
1: Yeah. Wow. and so he was one voice of reason that you know was very like my mom would always try to like you know um proselytize him and he would always just like push her away and just be like whatever he was a very nice man but he was just like whatever you know crazy white woman and uh and so you know i he was actually murdered when i was eight. Oh my god yeah so the sorry. whole family history is fucked up so he was murdered when i was eight and that was it like i didn't have that voice of reason and the next time that really came around was actually really when that happened in 1988 and that like the world didn't end and I was like, hmm. And I started like researching shit and then I found some books in my brother's room, my older brother, on, you know, various Zen and Buddhism and sorts of things and that kind he of... He must have hidden those, right? No, 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 no. I mean, you know, I think he kept them out pretty openly just to kind of say fuck you to my mom. He was, you know, when if I was 10, he was 18 and he was on his way out. Like okay. Every, almost every one of us moved out when we were 18. How as many soon of as you we were chance, there? Five.
0: Oh, what's the birth order? Where are you at? I'm in the middle.
1: So my mom had two kids before the marriage to my dad Mm -hmm. that she brought along, and then she married my dad, and then had myself, my younger brother, and my younger sister.
0: Okay, and so your your paternal grandfather was really a. until his tragic death he was really kind of a voice of reason and probably the one thing in your family that i mean i don't know if he, he lived with you
1: questioned her all the time he was just like yeah right like, that showed you that somebody could yeah totally because like we had the whole like i don't know if you ever have you ever heard of a wana's Mm-mm. approved workmen are not ashamed is what it stands for is the acronym and uh it's like boy scouts for christians And they make you memorize Bible verses. And my dad was the head of the Awanas for the church we were at. So I was expected to do even more. Like, I was expected to just, like, know everything. And I had no interest in it, like, memorizing the Bible. Like, fuck that shit.
0: So was your dad sort of... I mean, my dad rebelled for a time against his parents' relatively liberal Irish Democrat ways um, by becoming a Republican for a while and then got over it. Mm. (laughs) But, uh, you know, that was his form of rebellion in a sense was to be conservative because his parents were quite you know his dad was writing letters to the editor of the local newspaper about how priests should be married and women should be priests and how gays and lesbians should be allowed to serve openly and you know, blah 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 so like this was a little small town so my dad i think because of perhaps uh, he might challenge me on this i'm not sure but perhaps because of some resentments and things like this and uh, yes like his his opinions did form on their own they were not simply a reaction to my granddad's like my dad is a smart man with his own ideas but i do think that some of what he got into in his 20s and 30s and sorties was was like a reaction against what he was raised with so i'm wondering if your dad who was raised by seems like a fairly grounded dad uh if if some of what he was doing was like in reaction to that
1: you know i haven't given it that much thought um it, it, I mean, my parents split up, like, about eight years ago, and, like, there's so much unraveling I'm watching happen, and I was watching that fall apart for years, like, my parents falling apart. Hey, you're a grown-up,
0: I mean, you're 40-something now? F- I'll be
1: 41 in June. So,
0: you're 41 now, so that was a that's a later-in-life experience of parents divorcing. Yeah,
1: it was much later, and it was, you know, mildly annoying, but, like, you know, I was living out here, they all live in Michigan, like, you know, I, I would be the one that would call up and tell everybody to, like, chill the fuck out, and, you know, hey, calm down, will you know, everybody will be fine, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Cause my dad was raised Catholic, but it was cause his mom was Irish and then, it, and then his mom died at a very young age of lung cancer. So and my grandfather was Cherokee really didn't give a shit about religion. So my dad was never really religious to say. Um, I mean, his only real religion was probably smoking weed and getting drunk. Like that was his thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, when he met my mom, I don't, like, the the story's always so hazy when you ask either one of them, and uh, it just sounds like at some point he acquiesced to whatever she wanted, why, I'm not entirely sure, and they went along with it, and then he had a bunch of kids, and suddenly, I mean, you could tell, like, it it wasn't going well even when we were, like, you know, if if I can, like, look back to even, like, 10, 12, 14 years old, like, you could just see, like, oh, they're not happy, like, you're constantly fighting, like, just fighting all the fucking time, and as, you know, everything got older, I think they stuck together for the kids, which is a really common thing, especially, you know, that era, right? Um, I think that if anything, he just kind of did what he thought he was supposed to do.
0: I think a lot of, in a lot of families I've noticed from people I talked to, not in my family, because in my family, both of them were Catholic, but, um, uh, and now, you know, they're very progressive. They're pretty progressive now, I gotta say. But, um a lot of times you go with the religion of the mother it seems or the mother's whatever the mother's great passion is sometimes in some cases the dad is more dominant in all ways so you go with that i also i dated somebody for a while whose mom was catholic and dad was baptist so he went to both churches um and it's interesting my best friend and her husband uh, are atheists and they're they tell their little kids you can decide mommy and daddy don't believe in god but if you decide to one day that's okay it's not our thing they're really cool about it but they are being raised in a peer group that's where a lot of parents are like that but they also have cousins who are very christian who are constantly trying to send bibles into the house and it becomes this yeah they're concerned about that kind of stuff they're super into it because they get bonus points if they save souls that's really what it's about it's really an egotistical thing in the end i think um this is a sort of a, a weird sharp left turn i guess but I'm wondering, like, as you're growing up in this house, no, it's not. As you're growing up in this house with all these kids, a lot of us turn to food for comfort. Um, and I'm wondering to what extent, like, how, what role did food play in in your life? I mean, as a kid, were you, like, uh, it, was it as clear as, like, there's David hiding in the kitchen. One day he shall be a chef.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> what not did at you all. think
0: you were going to be? Like,
1: no, I, I wanted to be an Air Force fighter pilot when I was real little Uh, because I was really interested in going fast and flying like I thought I could fly I was so certain I could figure out like how to fly um and then once I realized they couldn't then I then I (laughs) devastating yeah that was pretty hard but then I was like oh shit but I can get in a plane that'll go real fast and real high and that was really cool to me so I started studying uh to do um I did civil air patrol which is like it's like pre-air force training for young people that want to learn how to become an air force fighter pilot
0: kind of like ROTC kind of like ROTC
1: yeah similar and and so essentially like I mean I I think I was like 12 or 13 and I was like you know learning all the basics of marching and doing all these like studies that were about like you know just really basic training for the air force um and then it just it, it was one day that I was standing there and the captain was actually yelling at us because we were like giggling and standing in line and stuff it was me and another friend of mine um, uh, fuck Brian beers. God, how do I remember that shit? Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. Shout where's, out to Brian, Brian in the world. Um, he's probably still in Crystal Lake. Um, and so one day he, the, the captain came by and he was like, well, you know, yelling at us, like doing the, you know, military thing, yelling at us for laughing. And I just couldn't stop laughing. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I'm not going to be serious with you. Like, look at you. Like, I'm a child. Like, I'm not <laughs> like, this isn't real. Like, I'm not going to take this seriously. And like, and everybody else was dead serious and then when they like talked to me later like you know he was a nice guy he talked to me about it later but I was just like dude like I can't take you serious and he was like maybe this isn't for you and I was like yeah I guess not
0: uh, yeah I don't see you thriving in the military mm-hmm. industrial complex mm-hmm. I don't see that being no, where you go that's not
1: yeah that's not my world my, I mean I have family that have been in it for a long time and or just gotten out but um but even, no not at all um no I food was just like a thing it was just a thing that I did I never thought twice about it like it was always just like I have a very scientific and mathematical mind. And so like if I saw pancakes being made from a box like, and I'd have a bi bisquick, I'd be like, I bet I can figure out how to make that on my own. And then it was like, oh I can do this. Oh I can do that. You know, it's just little details. And the first time I really got interested in food was actually realizing that I could cook dinner for a girl. <laughs> That's and, how and that, many rock and, and roll and, stories and, and her fucking eyeballs would do this? And I was just like, ooh, that's cool. How old were you? Uh, like seventeen, eighteen.
0: I was like, was this middle school? What no. happened? If you're seventeen, 18 and you realize what, what would you maybe cook for a young lady at this point in time? I was
1: so into Asian food, like just generic Asian food, pan and I, Asian, totally. Food. You know, my dad had like the bottles of like the Asian sauce. <laughs> you know that kind. <laughs> yes. I mean, like in the Midwest, you know, there's like two bottles of Asian sauce in the entire grocery store. It's like in the ethnic aisle. That's, yes, like, got, and it's not even an aisle. You get. Like one section of an aisle that's mostly pasta and Italian food. And then there's like one little shelf that's like Asian food and it had like a few things and he would always buy it because he liked doing, uh, he had a walk and he would do stir fry like once every couple of weeks. And I just like had a thing for that. I was so obsessed with it.
0: You were like, I'm going to make this into my own personal PF Changs and she's gonna sit on my face immediately. Mm-hmm.
1: I was a good, clean, wholesome boy. (laughs) So you're still a virgin and your son is the top tit. Yeah, exactly. He's born of a virgin.
0: (laughs) We're here to talk about virginity, kids. Mm. That's really why we're here today. It's Mm. important. So you, so you start, so obviously you had a kind of natural affinity for food, even perhaps it came out of, it sounds like the interest in unlocking something and, and making it better, improving upon it in some way. Yeah, but
1: it's like, like even my dad had a garden, but I never think about it and go, oh man, that made me want to like get into food. Like Mm -hmm. I always wanted to do other things. Like I had an interest in being a writer when I was younger, like that was my thing. I wanted to go to school, but I would sit in writing classes in college and just be like, these people are fucking morons. Like they can't put a sentence together. And, and just was like, I can't handle this. I can't go through the motions. Like, I hated high school. I barely showed up for it. You know, I had no interest in it. Um,
0: where did you go to college?
1: Um, I just went to a community college in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Did
0: you finish or did you drop no, out? No, I dropped
1: out. I was. I, I realized that I can make money selling weed. <laughs> and, that, and that was where I was like, oh, wait a minute. I can be making money. And it wasn't just a little bit of money. It was like, let's make a shitload of money. And... Yeah. That to me was much more interesting. And then it just so happened if you're just going to like delve for a minute and kind of keep going with the food and how that got going thing is while I was doing that at that point, like I started, I had been like getting into like where food comes from and why and that sort of stuff and started asking those questions for myself a little bit. And and because of the fact that I had so much spare time because I was just selling shitloads of weed and acid and mushrooms, um, I had gotten into organic farming. I stumbled across, and I don't remember even how, through a health food store I used to go to, a friend uh, had told me about this farmer out in Rockford, Michigan, uh, Ingerberg Farms, Dave Lundberg was his name, and told me about, like, she, he does crop rotation and all these things, and just, like, my brain exploded. I was like, well, I need to know about all these things. And so I would go out and volunteer on his farm. Oh, and, cool. And learn how he was growing all this food, and he had the best produce. It tasted so good. And that was the thing. So because I was, I didn't want any money from him... I was willing to volunteer at the end of the work week. I had a Cadillac because, of course, all good drug dealers have a Cadillac. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and if, and if, for the listeners, like I'm not a big human, like tiny me driving a giant Eldorado from, I think it was like a 78 Eldorado. Like I think it sounds very sexy. fucking car. <laughs> uh, and I had like, you know, two giant dogs that were my guard dogs. And what? All, it was, the whole thing was ridiculous. Were you I, growing
0: your own by the way? Like were you No, growing... I messed
1: around with it, but no, I was, I was, I was buying in uh, Seattle from a guy who brought it over from Vancouver mm-hmm. and driving more than I should ever say I was driving across the country. And dropping it in a lot of places. Wow! And and then finally selling it off and staying in Grand Rapids and then flying back and a lot of interstate money. commerce violation. This is back like pre like this is the days like there were still pagers like we'd use a pager to just say to go to a to a particular payphone and then you get on the payphone and you'd wait for a call and then that call would tell you where you're gonna meet somebody like it was just ridiculous the whole thing but everybody was paranoid as fuck and for good reason. Um, My
0: friend Day Thurston, who is a, a great human and hopefully a future guest on this podcast, Day tells a story about when he was growing up in D.C., uh, his mom in like the height of the crack epidemic in the 80s, his mom knew the phone number for the the payphone outside their home, which was like, you know, they didn't live in a nice neighborhood at that time. So she would call the payphone to fuck with the drug dealers oh, and man. take pictures of them. You drug dealers today don't know what it was like. <laughs> People really had to do some foot work you with there, your cellular phones now we you didn't had to have read those. codes
1: on pagers like yeah the whole thing was fucking crazy but so yeah i would work on this farm and he would send me home with a trunk load of produce and i started like i had this really great apartment in the city downtown grand rapids um and i would and i would just cook and like teach myself on you know like all different types of techniques I'd study just technique I was very interested in the science of it and the history of food and so I didn't read cookbooks I read books that were based on science and history and even back then there were still really good books by people like Harold McGee you should definitely look up Harold McGee if you haven't looked up Harold McGee and you're interested in cooking he has great books that teach you so much about just like how to approach cooking from like a scientific but like very simple standpoint Um, how to cook an egg better just simple shit like that so that was the kind of stuff I was delving into and I'd have dinner parties every weekend host these crazy dinner parties. I wouldn't charge anybody money. I'd just teach myself how to cook and like have 40, 50 people over and just throw a huge party. And how old are you at this point? I don't know, like 21.
0: What kind of music are you listening to at this point? A
1: lot of hippie shit. Okay, so and you're... I, I, I was a total fucking hippie. So it was like some... But also rap. Some... <laughs> also rap.
0: This is so special. So you're... Fu- some fucking like Michigander girl is like... I had a girlfriend who guys... lived with me. You guys... <laughs> Guess who's having a party I know this guy He's my dealer He's like really successful And he has like a loft We don't know how And like um, So like Let's go to his house And we're gonna listen to like Farmhouse by Fish Over and over again (laughs) And like we're gonna get Really fucked up And he's gonna cook for us And it's like totally special That's what I feel like Your peer group was saying
1: I feel like this is 68% true (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh And then they show up and you're playing like Tribe Called Quest. And they're like, this also is acceptable, I guess.
1: He's ethnic embracing. He's
0: ethnic embracing. This is so exciting. He's troubled. Were girls like throwing pussy at you?
1: I had a girlfriend. Yeah,
0: that's not what I asked.
1: Because if if I
0: I was 21 and some fucking dude was like, hey, I want to tell you about organic. Like, (laughs) Like, here's the first Wu-Tang album. I'd be like.
1: You know, I was such a like. It's a disgusting sound I just made for
0: what I assume is my vagina. When
1: I was so young, I was so not like all the other guys that was like uh, chasing fucking tail around like that wasn't my thing like I was like reading all the time I was such a fucking nerd like I paid no attention to any other girls like I didn't have a girl before that girlfriend that I was dating I didn't have a girlfriend for a year and a half and I literally was on like like at one point I went away into the woods for three months straight no human contact whatsoever like I was I was in my own world of like meditation like I like was undoing all of these years of fucked up you know, upbringing and shit. And I just like, and I had no interest in having a girlfriend. And then when I did have a girlfriend, it was like, it was almost like having a friendship. Like I didn't like, she was terrible at sex like absolutely awful at You probably she were found Not good it. either So was, fuck I you I was pretty fucking You great. were terrible I was pretty great.
0: She's our next guest <laughs> <laughs> Fucking 21 year old Okay I was amazing You guys were both Garbage at sex <laughs> One of for you She probably She had... laid
1: there like a dead fish And I told her that well, And that was a horrible Thing to say to
0: Well maybe you <laughs> Were doing a good job
1: It's true I probably wasn't You were wasn't.
0: terrible At eating pussy And that's what The next episode is about That's not what the Come girl back. That I
1: left her for <laughs> said Oh my
0: god You cheated on her <laughs> What a nightmare i left her i cheated on i broke everybody her. at that age my apologies uh. to all those boyfriends there were a thousand of you so okay so you <laughs> and your girlfriend butterfly who you like sucked it going down on and she's way happier now because her life's better without you um things don't work out because you're horrible and so then you yes. end up <laughs> so like after that right like um you do you then like did somebody else move in or like like i'm sort of trying to figure out like Uh, how long you were in grand rapids in that particular apartment living this particular lifestyle
1: so i mean i'd traveled a bunch during that whole period too and then um essentially so back to tragedy fueling the next thing so i had decided i was going to move to paris and go actually pursue cooking that was something i had thought about doing and So you had
0: decided that you wanted to. I decided that I do, and I did
1: want to cook a little more. I wasn't sure if that was all I wanted to do. I still wanted to write, and um, that summer, while I was still drug dealing and all these kind of things, uh, my older sister died in a car accident.
0: Oh yes, I remember you wrote very beautifully. This is when I told you I was like, you're a really good writer. You wrote really beautifully about that on on your blog. Thank you.
1: Um, Yeah, she died. What was that? It'll be 19 years ago this summer in a car accident. On her cell phone. Don't be on your cell phone while you're driving. She was on her cell phone. She'd also been uh, drinking and driving and just made a bad choice and got hit by somebody and she died. And um, that was the catalyst for like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? And, you know, that with like the girl that I was dating happened to be friends with the guy that I was working with. And it turns out he showed up at my house one day and was there with like a gun in his lap. and was just like, this is mine now. And I was just like, you know what? That's cool. I don't even give a fuck. I'm out. And I left for Hawaii. Like that was it. Like I packed up. I didn't want it. I didn't want the cars. I wanted nothing. Like I was like, fuck this shit. I'm over it. Like I had all this money stashed. Didn't care about that. Like I was just over it. Like I every, just everything in that moment was like, there's so much more to life than what the fuck I'm doing right now with it. And I have to figure something else out. And I become really passionate about food. And like, this is during the time period. Like, where, like, there was a big fight over, like, the National Organic Standard, and I had been a big part of that, and a big part of, like, the WTO protests in 99, and, like, I mean, there was just all these things that I have been actively involved in that I was like, sh- our world's going to shit, and I have to do something about it, and I'm not gonna do it selling weed. Um... And, and I also had a friend on the force who had told me that like, they knew who the fuck like, I was and what was going on. So I was like, okay. It was a good time to get out of town. I have to get the town. fuck out of yeah. here. And so I left for Hawaii with a backpack and uh, nothing else, really. Uh, Did you
0: bring any cash with you? A like well, very money? small yeah. amount of
1: money. I, I showed up in Hawaii maybe with like, I don't even remember. It was less than $2,000. Probably wow. like 1500 bucks And a tent. Wow. And, and that was it. Hey,
0: everybody. It's Sarah clearly. Hello. Just breaking in to say thank you for listening and to remind you that you can support the podcast via Patreon, patreon.com slash Casa. You can get some cool rewards as tokens of my thanks, and I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you so much, patreon.com slash sarahbenincasa.
1: So when I was hitchhiking, this is the story as it goes. Um, I got picked up by a couple of people that were traveling there at the time. And, um, it just so happened. I was talking this whole time to the woman in the car about like, she'd asked what I was doing there, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm I'm trying to figure out what I'm gonna do with my life. Uh, I think I was 22, something, not even 21, still 22, something like that. And, uh, and I've been like, I really want kids to know like where their food comes from, and I want people to really have like a direct connection with it. This is all really important. She and and my farmer friend had told me like nobody listens to farmers. They sh- you should be a chef because people listen to chefs. He was predicting like the whole like chef. Like, he was right. Yeah. Yeah. He was he so was, right. This was is was like totally you know right. in like the year ninety nine two thousand. He was just like so fucking right. And. And the woman was like, oh, well, I have a restaurant in Berkeley. You should come check it out sometime, you know, like, a, you know, like your story, blah, blah, blah. Turns out she was Alice Waters. And- Holy
0: fuck, dude. Yeah.
1: So fucking really weird. Um, <laughs> and I That's had no idea nuts. who she was. And later, you know, found out and we became friends later. Um, I actually dated her daughter for a little while. Hi, Fanny. Um, and yeah, it was just a whole kind of that was it. I was just like, I'm going to do this thing. And somehow I'm going to get people to connect with their food. Um, and you and, just and happen to,
0: to run into the, you know, I guess. The mother of the mother. Yeah, like the, like the food revolution, yeah, the, food the, revolution the slower <laughs> food movement, yeah. talking about farm to table stuff in the United States. Obviously, there's a, the slow food movement and, and organic and bio-natural and all these different terminologies. These They're not all the same, but th- that's an international thing, right? It's not just in the U.S., but in the United States. I mean, she is incredibly influential. What is the name yeah, of she brought all restaurant? that stuff over from Japanese. Uh, yeah, that's wild. So then you go to Berkeley and you're working there. So no, like, I never worked there. Oh, really?
1: No, I no, I ended up. So I became friends um, with Alice. Years later, I didn't actually meet her until uh, again until many many. She came to Jolina when I was working there in 2009. Um, and in Venice, yeah, In Venice Beach. Yeah. So like, I I ended up like cooking and doing a bunch of other things. Um and really getting going on it, like on Kauai and Maui, when my son was born, I actually like really started to focus on cooking. Um, yeah, I didn't run into her again until about 2009. And then um, it was in 2010 that I met her uh, her ex-husband, Stephen, who I absolutely adore, Stephen Singer. He makes wine. And, uh, and then I met Fanny. And then that kind of all just like turned into this thing. And when I moved up to we like, jumping around a lot, but that's what happens when you're, like, 40. You just cover a lot of ground fast. Um, I went up to Marin, and I cooked and opened a restaurant in Marin. And what in was Mill that Valley? called? It was called Mill Valley Beer Works. Okay. It was a little, like, brewery that had, like, pretzels and pub food, and they built a kitchen, and we decided we were going to make, like, honest, like, really high-caliber food that went well with beer. And the goal was to, you know, get attention enough to, like, raise money to turn it into kind of a, a multi- Kind of business empire and um, and we did really well we got a lot of attention um, we got a lot of you know accolades and it was really fun um, and then they turned it into Fort Point Brewery if you have seen that around it's everywhere now um, but yeah so when I was up there like you know I ended up spending some time I did like stage at and East with those guys and hang out with them a bunch um, and I'm friends with quite a few of the chefs and people that have worked there over the years um, but yeah and it's just kind of like it, it if anything else i would say that the simplicity of food like that is what inspired me to like always come back to the roots of cooking to me which is just like everything's better when it's more simple
0: can you draw any any lines in an easy way from uh, Hail Mary pizza Which is fucking fantastic I had my birthday party there It was very fun Your And 26th you, birthday party right? Yeah now. my 26th birthday party My 11th 26th birthday party Does 12th, that mean you're still bad at my sex 12th, Or are you getting better at it? I've been killing it Since <laughs> I popped out the Wamba Like I was born And people were like that baby can fuck, but it's not gonna happen. We're gonna protect her, and like consent is important, so she's not gonna have sex till she was 18. And I was like, surprise, motherfuckers, I'll be 21 because I will still be unpacking my Catholic bullshit and not realize I'm bisexual either. So, um, yeah, so that happened. And I, so when I was having my birthday party at your restaurant, I was actively great at sex, although not fucking anyone while in your restaurant.
1: restaurant. That's good. During
0: my birthday, I felt we it would just
1: up that day, but it,
0: that was Man. something else. I killed someone. I did <laughs> kill someone. There's a scene in Sopranos where I forget what happens, but I think like there's some, I don't. Know, there's some in, mob infighting and um, people come in and they rob a pizza joint. And Christopher I think goes, "Don't disrespect the pizza parlor." And I just want you to know it's is my friend. I will never disrespect your pizza parlor by fucking in it, but I will kill several people if I need to. <laughs> Hail Mary Pizza. Hail Mary Dangerous pizza. things might
1: happen. People might die.
0: <laughs> People might die. The food no is sex. so good. No sex. No, no it
1: sex.
0: is. A, it's a very, a lot of sex shaming. Very pro murder. Um, I mean,
1: listen to it. It's a Catholic name.
0: It is a, yeah. Well, it's a, it's, it was your Hail Mary pass, right? To basically great. just be like, fuck, let's see. Let's see if we can it was, make it. Doug Flutie is a silent partner and it's fine. And if you get that reference, you probably also had a dad who liked sports. Um, so, but but I feel like you know we just got a few minutes left with you because so we have to send you back to the restaurant that I you're have to go in charge back to of. Work today? Yeah, you're supposed to. You don't have to, uh, but okay. like, do you care about your customers? Absolutely. Great. Then you have to go back. So, like, I feel like reading when I was, I feel like I read at some point that you you worked in a pizza joint in Grand Rapids at some point. Sure did. did I make that up? Oh, yeah, I didn't no. make it up. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah, I was a pizza delivery guy. But you didn't cook. I didn't. No, I was eighteen. I was it was a second job for me at night and I would get really high and drive all over East Grand Rapids, Michigan, stoned, and deliver pizzas and it was great tip money and I actually spent a lot of time listening to the the um The public radio station that played jazz later but earlier would have... um,
0: Fish. You only listened to Fish.
1: All Things Considered.
0: All Things Considered. I spent a lot of time
1: listening to like a lot of NPR. A lot of Robert Segal. Yes. And then it would turn into fucking jazz time. And that's where I discovered a lot of my favorite current groups.
0: You always have, I've noticed this, you always have uh, an excellent playlist happening. I'm
1: obsessed with having good music and we have a really great stereo. I think it's really important to have good music in a space and it always bothers me when you have like great food and it's cool ambiance and you have like a great service and then it's like tinny ass music bouncing around the restaurant. And you're just like, what the fuck is this shit? Whenever like, I get eat some at, good speakers. at
0: Providence, I'm like, where is Dave Brubeck? <laughs> this would really accompany my $8,000 appetizer better. <laughs> um, but it always, and then what I think is cool about your place, too, among many other things, is that it doesn't, it, it, it does feel, it does feel down to earth. It doesn't feel pretentious and shitty. And it could, if you wanted it to. Like I think *Journeyman* I think felt it
1: pretentious to an extent. I didn't want it to, but it, I know you never ate there. No, well, because I was there to make. I wanted it to die, and it uh, did. Thank God. By being promiscuous.
0: Yeah, I was drunk, whoring, in <laughs> fucking at like Black Cat in Silver uh, Lake.
1: But like, it's a good place for that. No,
0: it was very powerful. It's really loud. It's terrible acoustics. Great to be slutty in. Um, I love the high Black Cat. But anyway, um, so you well, I feel like that's gonna happen. For for any place in a city where food is cool, which is every city now, right? Because of the rise of, you know. Food culture. Food culture. And so food is hip right now. And it's, it's, it's going to continue to be for a while. And then something else will be cooler. And so, like, that's going to happen when, you know, Jonathan, the late, great Jonathan Gold writes rather glowingly of what you're doing. That's going to bring in, you know, snotty snots. People, right?
1: Yeah, we we actually called them the gold fogies. <laughs> a lot of old fucking people that had like their own wine glasses in a case and what? their own wine. Ba- oh my god, was it BYOB? It was in- no, but like you can, but like you know, there's a corkage, <laughs> but like I mean, literally, people would show up with like their own glasses.
0: Oh, oh, look, there's a. I have my Jonathan Gold you tote right over there. And I was saying when I was interviewing my friend uh, Esther Singh, who's a food writer, we we're talking about. Uh, I loved his. The documentary about him is so beautiful. It's called City of Gold. If you're listening and and you have time for a documentary in your life, that it's will a real good one. It's lovely and it's a love letter to the city. For he sure. and
1: he also is. I mean, I, I you know, chefs and food reviewers. We always have our know, Things, Um, I mean, there's no uh, hiding my feelings about Michael Bauer from San Francisco. He he and I had a thing when I was up there, Um, like a romantic thing. Absolutely not. Um, Was it like a like? Are you? I I just like. I think that a lot of food reviewers are either out of touch with what's actually happening, and they don't have their finger on the pulse properly, or they're so inexperienced that they really don't do what Jay Gold did, which was try to understand what. A thing is trying to be and if they're trying to be that so you like you have these like modern things if i may rant for just a moment go right uh, ahead uh, about like things like uh you know the uh, the infatuation who just wrote nicely about us today it just went out it's that these systems of like a zero to ten scale like what is it fucking gymnastics like are we like spinning around for you to like get a score from you no it are we trying to be the thing that we're or are we achieving being the thing that we're trying to be. And that's what Jay Gould was really good at. He was able to look at something like a mom and pop shop and and not give you a score or like stars or bells or whatever the fuck everybody else does. He just would just write about it if he liked it. And if he didn't like it, he didn't say anything.
0: Which is so I mean, how rare is that too in any I thinking about as an author, I mean, I've gotten some shitty reviews, in some cases rightly so, and I've gotten some great reviews, in some cases rightly so. And um it's it's Anytime somebody rates that which is subjective, it's going to be weird and uncomfortable and strange. And I really appreciate when critics just... It's kind of like if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. Although I also fucking love reading a takedown sometimes. I don't, I don't even
1: mind a takedown. I guess just what I mean is that like, he also was able... To, like, he Even when he took people down, he was trying to assess whether or not they were achieving trying to be the thing they were trying to be. That was it. It wasn't a matter of like... Uh, his personal opinion about, like, is is this relevant? It was just like, these people are trying to make fucking tacos out of their truck, and this is what they're doing, and I really like it because they're trying to do this thing, and they're achieving that thing, and these people are, you know, trying to make five-star food, and you know what? They're coming up a little short. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not actually achieving that thing. And that was what he was really good at, and I just, I I would love to see, and, I you know, granted, I'm not keeping up with all the food critics because I don't really care, but I would love to see somebody step forward in terms of that in LA and really kind of take up that mantle of what he did in terms of really just like you said writing a love letter to this city he loved it he loved eating here and he really appreciated everything he was really on board with just getting behind people doing their thing and he fought for the little guy as much as anybody else
0: it was awesome it was really I mean he has such an amazing legacy there's a reason that you know he won the Pulitzer Prize and as the first critic who won for food criticism, which is extraordinary. Um, I think that was in 2003. That he yeah, won? it was a while back. So.
1: Yeah, when he was writing for the uh, LA Weekly.
0: And I, I will say I've the two critics who they've hired at, at the LA Times, I'm really excited for them. And also from what I've read so far, and I've not been a completist, it seems like they've been doing a really cool job. It seems like I've been reading about, you know, they're not trying to be him and replicate him exactly, which is good. But they are, I mean, I think one of the first reviews I read was of like, a Oaxacan Lebanese place Mm. that was, like, fairly affordable. And I was like, that's L.A. to me. Like, that's Los Angeles. Yeah, it's rad. Some, you know, some Oaxacan dudes who came up in Lebanese kitchens and now they were like, well, that seems like a cool combination. Like, that's exciting to me.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Where can humans go to learn more about you uh, and your
1: foodstuffs? HailMaryPizza.com.
0: And do you have an Instagram? I
1: sure do. What is it? It's also Hail Mary Pizza LA.
0: I like the way you've updated the Instagram. I liked it before, but I feel like you're going for a specific aesthetic right now. I would have to say it's photos of food that you sell in your restaurant. (laughs) Am I getting
1: that? Yeah, that's it. That's Uh, pretty much it. You know, I, I didn't do or have much to do with the Instagram at all when we were journeymen. And then as, you know, various people left the business and I started to have to like take hold of it. I did it very reluctantly because I uh, social media to me is such a time suck when I like really just want to be in the kitchen doing other things. And I realized the power that it has to like influence people coming into the restaurant. I mean, it's wild. People walk in literally hold up a phone and go, I want this thing. Really? Oh fuck. It's fucking really? crazy. Like literally.
0: I mean, I've had friends who told me that they've seen me post about your butt or other places to be fair and go oh I'm gonna I tried that or I went there to yeah. check it out but I've never heard of people it's but then I've never been especially working.
1: the vegan stuff I post the vegans I love them to death they come in and they like hold up a thing and they're like this is the thing I want right here and you're <laughs> just like well, that, that makes that easily taken care of. No problem. Um, but it is, I mean, people come cause I do a lot of these like kind of off the cuff specials or just kind of random, like, oh, tonight I'm going to throw $10 margaritas, which a $12 margarita for 13 inch pizza is already crazy cheap, but I'll just like do it once in a while because it's fun. Um, and, and Hail Mary so much of a, like, also, I mean, that's a whole other story in and of itself that I'm trying to work on how to tell more. Um, but the long and the short of it is like, you know, like you said, it was literally an effort to save this place uh, with, you know, just like I went to Hawaii, we had about a thousand dollars left to the bank and made it work as a pizza place. And so it, everything I'm doing is kind of just off the cuff, like does this work? And the Instagram too, has just been like me embracing the need to get people in the space. And so out of necessity, I've decided to get like fun with it, but it also feels more like it's honest now. It's just like rock and roll, played a little loud, lots of colors. It's fun. It's a little psychedelic, um, a little less hippie. A little more psychedelic rock. Is that
0: painful for you? Like, is it hard that you can't play? Like,
1: I let go of that fish all all the time. Oh, God. I was so I w- not a fan of that. I had like it was me putting up with it at that age with like um you know
0: Don't try to walk it back. I'm just you saying. fucking loved it. You were playing hacky sack all the time. You were like, I love this.
1: I'm looking down shamefully.
0: Hanging right out at free Tibet gatherings, which is a very cool and worthy cause. My
1: corduroy pants didn't have too many patches on them. <laughs> and the SIPA, not hacky sack that I had. The Sipa. only had half of the beads removed.
0: That's really cool, man. Well, <laughs> I'm just really glad that you don't have dreads. I feel great about that for you. Of course you did. I know I wasn't going to get into it, but (laughs) I was just, I sensed it and I was like, oh, well, we've all come a long way. You know, I mean, I I had really thin eyebrows. I had really thin eyebrows and it was a problem. And now they're like, really they're, they're doing very them. lush thank you yeah yes. i worked on it and they're back well um david graham wilcox you are fucking dope and i'm so glad to know you and everybody should eat your delicious foodstuffs. uh that was uh you know where are you from pod now i'm fucking hungry i'm probably gonna eat leftover food that's from my fridge and uh, i'm excited have a good week guys Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed my chat with David Graham Wilcox. Check out Hail Mary Pizza if you're ever in Los Angeles. And be sure to tell him that this very podcast is what got your ass in there. It is really, really good food. I've spent so much money there. Oh, good God. Reasonably priced. I've just gone a lot with various friends. (laughs) Um, I'm at Sarah J. Benincasa on... Twitter, and on Instagram. I've got some books out. You can find those via the interwebs. They are called Agora Fabulous, Dispatches from My Bedroom. Uh, another one's called Great. Another one's called DC Trip. Another one is called Real Artists Have Day Jobs. And another one is called Tim Kane Is Your Nice Dad. There's a lot out there for you to enjoy. I also blog medium.com slash at Sarah J. Benincasa. And I write stuff in different places. Thank you once again to all the Patreon supporters. You really help So, so, so much. And I appreciate it a lot, a lot. And most of all, thanks to the listeners. If you like what you heard, um, you know, rate it highly. Write a nice review over there on the iTunes and the such. That would be very great indeed. I appreciate you. I think you're delightful. And I'm going to, you know, interview some more interesting people. Maybe dig up some juicy information about them. I don't know. We learned about David's sordid hippie past. I feel pretty solid about having discovered that he used to play with some kind of fancy hacky sack. I feel good about that as a friend and might roast him until the end of time about it. Not that he'll care. What does he need to worry about me roasting him? He's got a magic pizza joint. All right, anyway, it's really hot in LA and I've quietly lost what remains of my mind. You guys are great. Bye-bye.